Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. The Warlord. Battle for the Galaxy. The Osiris Chronicles. But there's only one chronicle. Join the Sublime Plenum. Hello everybody and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less, and in this case, much, much less. My name is William Bibiani, I'm a film critic for Crave Online and Blumhouse.com. Everyone calls me Bibbs. Blumhouse.com. I, yes. like I like the way you say that. Yeah. Uh, my I just na- throw inflection anywhere. My name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, people call me the master. Who? And- uh, you know, people. Uh-huh. Pe- pe- people do. In the bedroom. My mom says I'm cool. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm also a film critic of some stripe. I'm around this great big internet of ours, and I am the co-host of the B-Movies podcast. From, from whence, whence we, we hail. hail. And uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon, we've got an oddity for you. We've got a... a... Well, we, we have one of those shows that went to pilot and no further. Yes, but got rejiggered into a, a TV movie. This is... Which is how all pilots are... They redefine them. They're made as pilots. They're intended to be series. Uh Sometimes they even shoot a few more episodes. But then they decide to air just the pilot anyway, and you look up on IMDb and it says TV TV movie. movie. Yeah. That's not all TV movies, but it's a lot of TV movies. There there are just TV movies. Oh, yeah. There's thousands and thousands of those, but... But often pilots get get repurposed. Um, Some of the TV movies you might be looking at when you're surfing through that great big internet movie database mm -hmm. are things like what we're talking about now. Pilots that failed. Yes. We've already covered a few of these. We covered Baffled, for Mm. example, where Leonard Nimoy was a race car driver who became a psychic who solved mysteries. And this one has an odd pedigree because it's directed by Joe Dante. You know him as the director of Gremlins, Inner Space, Explorers. Now, I'm trying to figure out when Joe Dante's career went south. I think it was around the early 90s. Like around I think the time. Like after Gremlins 2. Like, sometime around find a, there. Find a great Joe Dante because this film, mm. The Warlord, Came out uh, the same year as Small Soldiers, which was kind of his like one of his last big attempts at relevancy. Like mm. this and Looney Tunes back in action uh, were like big releases, like, but they uh, weren't hits. Mm-hmm. Small Soldiers is odd and has some things to recommend it, and I'm actually rather fond of Looney Tunes back in action. But yeah, they they mm. that was sort of a you know it's sort of a downward turn. For his career, and this is a pilot episode. Joe Dante had worked in television before. Uh, you may recall that he directed episodes of Police Squad, mm-hmm. Erie, Indiana. He did five episodes of Erie, Indiana. And uh, he also did a horror anthology series called Night Visions. All of those are eligible for mm-hmm. Canceled Too Soon. Uh, he also did Amazing Stories, if you remember yes. that one. Uh, uh, he, he was he was chummy with Spielberg. Yeah. So he, he did a portion in the Twilight Zone movie, uh, and... I think Spielberg was like a producer and like did a lot of the story stuff for Gremlins. Yeah, uh, no, so, he was involved in Gremlins. Yeah, he's heavily involved in Gremlins. So yeah, uh, Spielberg was a great supporter of his career, and he has that sort of uh, appeal, that sort of mainstream kid appeal that Spielberg has. But he he came out of the Corman school, so he has kind of a dirty, Naughty monstery sense of humor, sense of humor yeah. uh, along with it. 
Yeah. Uh, I like a lot of his movies better than I like some of Spielberg's films. Uh, from that perspective, <laughs> yeah, his kids, his kids stuff in particular, they're really, really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he directed The Warlord, and it was written by Caleb Carr. If that name sounds familiar, he wrote The Alienist, which is an incredibly successful novel mm-hmm. from the mid-1990s about, what did, was it, like a serial killer in the 19th did, century? Did you read it? I didn't. I yeah, was too I young know. at the time. I, was just sort of, I just sort of knew it was mm-hmm. a thing that all the adults around me were reading. I never got around to it. It has a big following. People loved that he, book. He, he's a known author anyway. Yeah. And uh, and he wrote this, and he had uh, um, he also uh, helped write the Exorcist prequel, although his work was massively rewritten after well, John uh, Frankenheimer ev- died. Everything about the the Exorcist prequels yeah. is just a mess. And, yeah, uh, but there's there's it, it's such a mess that there's two of them. Like yes. they had to cobble, they were so much extra crap that they were able to cobble together two movies. And here's well, the sad thing about it: neither is very good. Yeah, both like everyone was like, "Oh, they mm. took The Exorcist away from Paul Schrader and gave it to Rennie Harlan, the guy who did Cliffhanger and Cutthroat Island." And it turns out that the Rennie Harlan version is the better version. It's, it's at least the more watchable version. Yeah, you can actually yeah. get through that one. The Paul Schrader one's just boring. It's <laughs> annoying. Um, so this has an odd pedigree. <laughs> Uh, it was originally designed to be a television series called The Osiris Chronicles, and when it became a TV movie, mm-hmm. uh, that was partially re-edited uh, by Caleb Carr, who said, hey, can I kind of make this not suck? <laughs> uh, they they said sure, and they came mm-hmm. out on UPN on January 27th, 1998. Uh, UPN, the Paramount Network, which eventually kind of mute, like it fused with the WB and became the CW. Exactly. The WB and UPN came out at about the exact same time, mm. possibly even the same day. I'm trying to remember. No, it, the WB came first. WB came yeah. first. They were The idea was there were only like three proper networks, like networks mm. that you could get over the airwaves without a cable connection. Mm. There was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Mm. There were also as, local as, networks as, that you could get a, and PBS, the, but... But those were all affiliates. Yes. Uh, yeah, th- those three, and those had been like dominating the airwaves since radio yeah you know since the 20s and then in the mid-1990s warner brothers and paramount said hey (laughs) we can have our own networks and so they came up with wb which was moderately more successful Mm. and there was upn which kind of was was the star trek network for many years that was the only thing they had that stuck and it was so great as i was (laughs) i was i was a trekkie at the time there was there was a time when uh, and locally, it was Channel 13, UPN. Yeah. Uh, they would show a new episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, followed by a new episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, followed by a rerun of Next Generation, followed by the news, followed by a late show of the original Star Trek. There was a lot was just the, of Star it Trek. It was the Star Trek channel, like, yeah. every night. It was so great. It was totally, if, totally it, awesome. Oh, but only if you're a Star Trek fan. If you're well, not... Well, if you're a Star Trek fan. If you're not, you, there's just a lot of waiting. And uh, a lot of their material was really genre stuff. There was stuff mm-hmm. about time travel and guys who were part animal. And uh, this was a series that tried to... It, it's obviously kind of a knockoff of Star Trek, and we're going to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about its many relations. But if you ask me, I feel like it has sort of an ethos to be the anti-Star Trek. Well, it, it's setting itself up to, like, it's taking a lot of elements from Star Trek. It's, it's about a, a spacecraft with a bridge and mm-hmm. a view screen and a teleporter and all of the things you know that were kind of pioneered by Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But... In a different context, yeah, and I think they had to—they had to go out of their way to point out that this is like Star Trek, but not. Yeah. And in fact, they even said that several times throughout the episode. Episode in dialogue. Yeah. Which we'll the, talk. Which, this is, this which is we'll like Star to. Trek, but not. Okay, so the Warlord Battle for the Galaxy, which, by the way, failed. Even though this is this is what it was up against. 
the night it came oh, out. Oh, okay, you looked fun. it up. Okay. Yeah, normally this is harder to figure out, but mm-hmm. like, here's what the Warlord failed against mm-hmm. repeats of uh-huh. Jag, Home Improvement, <laughs> Mad About You, and World's Most Incredible Animal Rescues. Not even a new <laughs> World's Most Incredible <laughs> Animal Rescues. It was a repeat. And Warlord oh, got destroyed. Oh, Fox. Um. <laughs> Fox in the 90s was an embarrassing place. But, uh, yeah, uh, so that this new show went up against these, like, hot reruns and still failed. I suspect it was probably already dead, and they were just trying to get some value out of it. Because it was, like, billed as, like, the UPN Mm. night at the movies. Um, So, The Warlord uh, is the story Mm. of a a young man named Justin Thorpe. Played by John Corbett of Mm. Sex and the City... Uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Northern Exposure, Parenthood, and the Cancel Too Soon series, Lucky. Handsome bloke. He is yes. a hand, handsome bloke and a talented enough actor. Uh, he is not the warlord. No. He is, he is just some dude. Now, this the series takes place in a universe where essentially the Federation happened. And then fell and apart. Pe- and people got bored, essentially. That... <laughs> People were so tired of not fighting that they decided to start a war just for the sake of it, and they essentially ripped the galaxy asunder. And Hence were, my idea that this is the anti-Star Trek. Yeah, so Everything th- that Star Trek espouses, is this is like... It's is also Star like- anti-Star Wars in a way, because mm. the people who took over the galaxy and ripped it apart were called the Rebels, or like the Rebellion. Yeah. Whereas the Federation, I forgot what it was called in, in Warlord. Oh, uh, I already forgot. But it's, it, yeah. it's essentially a, the same thing as the Federation. I wrote that down somewhere. Uh, or sort of like the, the Rebels. Rebels who are hiding underground and trying to restart things. And they still have their ships and they still have their uniforms, but they have no contact with one another. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so the galaxy has been split apart. There's no order to any of it. Uh, and this dude, Justin Thorpe, is a petty thief. He can't read terribly well. He has a precocious young daughter named Nova, played by... Oh, it's his, Nova's his little sister. Oh, I'm sorry. It seems like it's his daughter. Should, it it should be his daughter, he but it's his way little too sister. Old. Yeah. Um, he's got like a little sister named Nova, played by uh, J. Madison Wright, who sadly died. Oh, no. Uh, she's like way too young. I believe she had something like a congenital heart defect. Oh, so poor. it's really sad. But you might recall she was in a very respectable uh, adaptation of the of the novel Shiloh in the 1990s. She also co-starred. Oh, is the girl from Shiloh? Yeah, she also okay. co-starred in the, in the another Cancel Too Soon series, Earth Two, which we'll probably mm. get to at some point. Oh, we'll definitely get to Earth Two. Um, in any case, yeah, I died at age 21. I know, thing. really sad. Uh, so sorry to start you off on a bum note. <laughs> In any case, she's a she's a cute young girl. Um, he loves her. He does everything for her. He steals for her. He fights off a series of like it, the opening scene. It opens with a short narration by the warlord, which I feel like was added for the TV movie. The, the narration at the beginning and the end were clearly added after the fact, yeah, just to give you a, a little bit more context to begin with, and I give you a little bit more closure at the end. Mm. Um, but the opening scene is a bunch of like Mad Max raiders. Mm. Killing a dude, saying they're going to rape his wife after they do all the drugs in their medical supply cabinet. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're stealing drugs. It's a really dark way to open a and, show. And it's people, really weird. And it's they're not like smuggling medical drugs. They're smuggling illegal narcotics. The, That's these the implication, two, the, anyway. two, the innocents are traveling with drugs. And th- this is a very Joe Dante twist, I think. Yeah. That the innocents need those drugs because they need the drug money to survive. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Justin uh, uh, saves the the, the lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, in return, she lets him have like whatever supplies he can have. 
oh, from, from just... that he can salvage from the drug dudes. Uh, and he goes uh, uh, to the warlord, whose name is Hinox Sean, mm. uh, played by John Piper Ferguson. Now, John Piper Ferguson is a Canadian actor uh, who you have seen in everything. Uh, uh, TV-wise, he, he was in The Last Ship. He was also in the Cancel Too Soon series, The Crow, Stairway to Heaven, and he was, also The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Uh, he had a recurring role. He was the like one of the main villains yeah. uh, on Briscoe County Jr. Yeah. Uh, he was on Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah. Uh, Very he, prolific actor. You, you've seen him. You oh, recognize yeah. his face. You're like, oh, that guy! What do I know that guy from? Yeah. yeah. And he's still working in movies, but like not in big speaking parts anymore. Yeah. I imagine he's working a lot in Canada. I imagine so. And any case uh he goes to this warlord who like lives in this kind of open air pasadena city college flea market bazaar mm-hmm. uh where like dick miller a doe dante regular who's been in everything <laughs> you've ever seen just has this weird get up on his back and he's like i sell mysterious products and so he buys a mysterious product uh, but he goes to the warlord whose office is the staircase in front of a building that's right he's just sort of hanging out there he just hangs out on the staircase in the front of a building and like later on in the episode he's got a steal from Xenox Sean uh, and he just like sneaks onto the staircase and opens like a chest like a like a big it's, treasure chest like it, Legend of Zelda it, it really it's this big wooden treasure chest yeah. and he has to yeah, safe crack and take all the jewels like, inside you're the warlord um, of the planet get an office <laughs> like seriously <laughs> what the hell it's weird. So he goes, um, he goes to this dude. He sells all the stuff, but when mm. he comes back uh, to his hovel, mm. he finds that his little sister is missing. And it's a weird thing because it's, it, it drives it's, the it's, entire film, but we don't see the kidnapping. It, we don't see the kidnapping, and I'm guessing this was editing. Like, the, they had to sort of put this together with... Like, they, they weren't thinking this together. This was clearly a re-edit. Because, mm-hmm. because we didn't see the kidnapping, and because it turns out to be so important later on, that you can tell that there's something missing here. It, yeah, because the implication is that, oh, maybe she's not kidnapped? Maybe she ran away? <clears throat> like, there could be anything no, that happened, but it turns out, of, no, she was kidnapped, a and lot it's a of, big deal. A lot of pilot episodes are actually kind of two episodes filmed at the same time, mm-hmm. so they can actually air them separately when they're back to the one-hour time slot. Yeah, this will be the... You can always tell there's so, a cliffhanger halfway through yeah. so yeah there's not only is there a cliffhanger halfway through but the story like shifts dramatically halfway through yeah uh so th- this first episode essentially was going to have more of the girl character we were going to see the kidnapping mm-hmm. and it was going to be more about the warlord character mm-hmm. the second part of the pilot the warlord is out of the story. Like he's well, in, he's, he's a in the, minor character. He's a minor character. He's like sort of floating around the background, but it becomes about these other villain monsters, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, so in any case, his sister is missing. He goes to his sister's uh, best friend, mm-hmm. uh, Maggie, played by Elizabeth Harnois. Uh, she's a regular on CSI, but she was also in the Cancel Too Soon series Point Pleasant, which we'll be reviewing very soon. Well, somebody, can, somebody's kind enough to us. buy buy us that one. Oh yeah, we have a we have an Amazon wish list now. Mm-hmm. If you want to contribute. Uh, Uh, for us to review and we'll get to them really really Mm. soon Uh, you can see that on Twitter or Facebook but in any case she's like this badass pilot but she's like 15 she's like a cool version of Wesley Crusher on the next generation uh, yes I suppose that's fair Um, because she's the only one with any sort of technical Mm know-how and just as Wesley Crusher was like the the 15 year old boy on the ship full of like Starfleet's elite and was the only one who could fix the computer yeah Wesley Wesley was a fan service character this character doesn't feel like a fan service character she just feels like a preternaturally talented character well we are 
still, however, dealing with stock characters in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, absolutely. The, 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 pre- the, preco- the precocious teen wunderkind is, is something that you see in a lot of sci-fi shows. I guess my point is, with Wesley Crusher and Star Trek The Next Generation, mm. uh, it felt like he was shoved in. You didn't really need him, and it, sure enough, was, when he wasn't on the show, it was you didn't clearly, feel his absence. It was clearly a producer saying, we need youth appeal, yeah. and let's but, let's put this young, hot boy in here and see what we can get with for young girls. But once they finally get into a, a spaceship, um, she's the only one who can pilot it. She mm. has a function. Yeah. She's valuable. Mm. So... It doesn't feel as awkward. Here. Also, if if you've ever been the teenager who could program the VCR while yeah. your parents couldn't, it's very relatable. She's it's the totally only one fun. who can fly the ship. She also has uh, a grandfather, General Sorensen, played by the great Rod Taylor. <laughs> Rod Taylor is a name you may have heard. You might recognize him. If you know who he is, you're a badass. But uh, mm. he starred in the awesome sci-fi movie The Time Machine. Uh, he was uh, the voice, one of the voices in 101 Dalmatians, the original classic animated movie. Uh, he was in Inglorious Bastards, and he was in a Cats of Too Soon series I really want to find called Bearcats. <laughs> um, it's, oh, it's, it's probably just about a football team. Though. No, it's Not about uh, people Bearcats. who travel uh, America in a car getting in adventures. Oh, all right. But in like World War One, so like, it's oh, got, like right. a, so it's got like a time gimmick. Um, <laughs> Time gimmick sounds like a show we'd review on the show. <laughs> Time gimmick. <laughs> it was a short-lived show series on UVN. Um, oh wait, that was seven days. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, gee. look when you when you say on the UPN, short-lived is implied. <laughs> because apart from Star Trek Voyager, nothing lasted on UPN. It's a fair point. Um, in any case, so General Sorensen was like a relic of the old Federation days. We're just mm. going to call it the Federation because that's what it is. That's what it is. And he, he still has the uniform and mm. he has access to the Osiris, which is a Federation ship. Yeah. That a badass, mm. powerful ship mm. with great weapons that can go with like which, light speed. Again, this is another thing about wonky editing because I'm not sure where this ship had been hiding out, like mm. who had control of it, wh- why this thing hadn't been discovered, and how Sorensen had access to There's it. There's some dialogue... Okay, Sorensen used to be a crew member on the Osiris. Right. So they say he had access to it because it was sort of coded, only a crew member could could go on the ship. Uh-huh. And the implication was that other people had tried to get on the ship and had failed. Okay. Because it was so secure. All right. It was such a great ship. So they go on the ship... Mm. And it turns out the ship doesn't run, so they need Justin to just steal from the warlord well, they, to they, buy like again a, a more editing, contractors to fix it, which is something we don't see. We don't see him going to the contractors. We don't. There's not this big overhaul sequence where we actually see them fixing it up or going yeah. on the ship or like well, they learning go, no, about they go the, on the ship. It's the engineers. Oh, the engineers okay. go oh, on the ship. Yeah. They hire these independent. It's not as big a thing as you'd think. Yeah. You'd think there would have to be, like, they have to go into, like, a space dock and get it retrofitted or something huge. Instead, they just get, like, three guys in this mysterious race called the Engineers, which no one knows who they are, what they're about. They just know they're the most technically advanced civilization of the galaxy. And if you're really, really rich, uh, rich, rich, you can mm. afford to have them do cool technology stuff for you. So they go on the ship, like, three dudes, and they fix some stuff, and then they leave. Mm. that'll be important later <laughs> so they're about to leave when the warlord realizes oh this dude stole from me I'm going to attack him and you think realize he's going to be like this sort of sort of like that guy in the first couple of wait, seasons wait, wait, of Farscape wait, wait, before before that happens though we skipped a character 
Oh, we skipped a couple of characters actually, yeah. didn't we? <laughs> they have to they have to crew up. Mm. So in addition to General Sorensen, in addition to the young pilot, in addition to Justin, who has no function other than to make money. Like he's and, just and, the thief. And to be the, the white lead character. Yeah. Um they have to add a couple of characters, mm. one of whom is Wally, played by the late Daryl Thers. Uh, he was on the Jeff Foxworthy show and the Cancel Too Soon series George and Leo. Mm. Uh, and he is psychic, but he refuses to admit it because it's annoying when people think you're psychic. Well, he he's the Deanna Troy character. Yeah. The, the empath, the one who's going to stand next to the, the captain and say, he's lying. Yeah. And... Uh, but but the difference is that unlike Deanna Troy, who's like really sort of reserved mm. and wise and very you know comfortable in her own skin, he doesn't like this. It's annoying mm. to him, so he constantly well, is and, denying that he. Can do and, it. and this is one of the many things that, apart from people are bored of the Federation, that conceit. There's he's. He's a psychic, but don't call him an empath. Don't don't call me. Don't compare me to Deanna Troy. It's lame. It's it's yeah. It's like I, I, I'm just like Deanna Troy, but but better. You know, well, it's it's. I'm one, annoyed by it. One of the, the first time we meet him, he's like arguing with a replicator, like mm. Arthur Dent in the Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, but he's arguing with Star Trek technology, mm. just to say like, oh, this replicator sucks. These replicators are stupid. Yeah. Uh, later on, there's going to be a scene where they have transporters. Yeah. But they say. In the old days, they used to do this stupid transporter thing where they'd like un- rip your body apart like by the molecule and beam you across, just like on Star Trek. How lame was that? Yeah. No, instead we have this f- space folding technology, which serves the same exact same function, <laughs> but the special effect is a little different. So it's ours is better. <laughs> there, there's um, so many digs at Star Trek. I know it thing. feels like it feels like a refutation of Star Trek because mm. what is this? Show but they're in- doing everything on Star Trek. They're well, just they're doing it's. They're doing all the functions, but mm. the idea is we're going to stick it to the Federation and we're going to be rebellious and say that that is better. Uh-huh. It's it's sort of like the make the galaxy great again. <laughs> you know, like Star Trek got all socialized yeah. and all about science and bettering yourselves. No, and then, no people don't want that. People want to like be violent and fuck around like that's and the warlord says that's cool. It's kind of weird. Um, and then they also realize, oh, we're going to have to like talk to a whole bunch of different people over the galaxy. So they hire a diplomat. Uh, mm. Named Rula Kaur, played by Carolyn McCormick, uh, who has been on like Law and Order and Law and Order SVU yeah. for forever, for ages and ages and ages. Uh, so they have her, and she has her bodyguard Jana, played who, by who? Why Jana? Who cares? Jeez. Well, it, it, she, the implication a, was she'd be more important later. She's a mute bodyguard. She has no dialogue, and she wears like a sexy space dress. Yeah. And she's played by Marjorie Monahan. Yeah, she, uh, who you may recall from Babylon Five, who mm. was also on the Cancel Too Soon series Space Rangers, which sounds very very similar. Mm. And Rescue 77. I watched Space Rangers. Was it any good? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. Um, in any case, so that's the team. Uh-huh. They they decide to fly away. The warlord is chasing after him, wanting his missing mm-hmm. money. And since the money was invested in the ship, now he wants the ship. And, and oh, oh, yes, and Nova's been kidnapped. Oh, and Nova's been kidnapped. Remember that? <laughs> it's been a while. Uh-huh. She's probably dead now for all they know. <laughs> like, in real life, we would assume she'd been dead if she'd mm. been missing that long. But, nah, probably fine. On some other planet how- somewhere. Th- Who th- knows? This is a series where I'm never sure how much time has passed. Like, yeah. Uh, b- is it a day? Is it a month? Between the time of, like, getting the money and, hire- and hiring the repair crew and getting the Osiris up and running, it feels like it took place over the course of an afternoon. You know, it's just yeah. a couple hours have passed. Well, it's a here's the deal. Even though it's a TV movie, it's still a pilot episode. They have not gotten to what the show is the going to be. The premise of the show, yeah. That's the that's the thing that honestly I didn't like this well, show for until, like the first half. 
half because all of that stuff yeah, on the planet, it's cheap. It's not very well defined. It's not very interesting. It's, badly, it's, only, it's even badly edited. It's badly yeah. edited. It's only once they actually get on the ship and start mm. doing stuff that my interest got kind of peaked. Mm. And at that point, I started kind of digging it. Yeah. And what I really dug is, you know, they're finally getting to this premise. You know, so this is going to be spacefaring Star Trek like show. But you can tell that they didn't have Star Trek money. Yeah. They, I mean, this was a time when Star Trek was riding high. They had a lot of money to throw into their projects. Uh, how, for however cheap it may have looked, they had decent stuff. It was going expensive on. at the yeah. time, and this you could tell they they threw the sets up. There wasn't a lot of detail. There wasn't a lot of attention paid to the special effects. It was sort of uh, it was really cheap, but in that charming sort of way. Yeah, uh, there is a definite charm to bad special effects and cheap sets, mm-hmm. especially when you're looking at science fiction that genre fans will immediately recognize. And I think Joe Dante knew exactly what he was doing. When he was, you know, clearly oh. shooting this on the cheap. Oh, they, they, they were wise to get a Roger Corman director. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. He, because he's come out of that school, he knows how to make stuff work mm-hmm. in an instant. They, they, it's, this is obviously a show where they threw all of their money at a few things. Mm. They knew that if this show was ever going to work, the space stuff had to look pretty good. Aww. And the space stuff looks fine. Like looks the, the, fine. the ship's flying around. Oh, we have to fly next to the surface of the sun and get the bad guys caught in a solar flare or whatever. Mm. There's that old move. <laughs> and uh, that looks fine especially for the era like it it looks okay like you'd buy it like i wouldn't have said it looked worse than anything else on tv at the time um so and there's a couple of things like once we get to they find nova really easily did you notice that they they fly out into space it's like okay we got to look for nova and then there's all of space all of space yeah essentially (laughs) the whole universe lays out have well where do we start well as it turns out we can start on this planet that just happens to have appeared right in front of us and it turns out it's the home planet of the engineers who were fixing their ship which just sort of i guess freely floats throughout space like it's not next to a sun it's not an orbit around anything so they go down to the planet's surface, and it turns out the engineers were the ones who stole Nova because the engineers look for, like, the smartest people in the galaxy. To, to help sort of... propagate their species. Uh, the it, the as... engineers are evil Vulcans. Well, they're... Uh, they're evil Vulcans. They're, yeah, they're evil Vulcans. They have devoted their life to sort of ridding themselves of anything that would cause conflict. And that means emotion and differences, which means they're all the, they're all the same race now. This is something that was in uh, The Lathe of Heaven, if you ever saw that. No, I didn't see that. Oh, it's the Lathe of Heaven is a TV movie from the seventies. It's really terrific. They remade it recently, but uh, it's about a young boy who he goes to sleep and whatever he dreams comes true. Hmm. And it's about a guy who figures this out and tries to influence his dreams positively for the world. And so he says, I wish there were, there were no inequality in the world. And he wakes up and everybody has gray skin. Uh, so there's no, no, no racial differences anymore. That sort of thing. So yeah, but it also they're, s- they're going down that route. They want mm-hmm. no, no differences or conflict, so they're trying to make everybody kind of the same. But is that not doing, also? Is uh, that not also, in some respects, also a dig at the Federation? Absolutely, it is. Okay, but the Federation is here's the, the bad thing. guy in here. It's also very Borgy, though, if you think about it. They're trying to make everybody the same, mm-hmm. like well, there's strip, a thin strip, line, strip isn't everyone there? of their autonomy. Yeah, isn't there a thin line between what the Federation is trying so, to do and then just robbing everyone of their culture? What? But when you see the Federation doing it against the Borg, there's an interesting dramatic conflict there, isn't there? Because there is. There, there's there's a fundamental similarity. I that wish the, I wish Star Trek kind could, of thematically exploring. I wish Star Trek uh, addressed that better. Because it's, I don't feel like they do. They never it's, really it's like. It's a thematic thing. They don't actually address it. Whenever in dialogue, the Federation yeah. is threatened in Star Trek, it's always they've threatened the f- principles of the Federation. There's someone in the Federation mm. who has gotten too warlike for the Federation. It's mm. never. Maybe the Federation isn't a good idea. 
That really uh, doesn't come up terribly often. It, it doesn't, and when it does, it's really clunky, like in Star Trek Beyond, where yeah. it's like, oh, I just hate the Federation now. Well, and um, again, Star Trek was created to sort of present an ethos, and it came mm. out of the Cold War. It came out of a time of an, of uh, the civil rights movement. Mm. So the idea of a world in which everyone was treated equally and all got along, of course, was very utopian, and the idea that Star Trek committed to that so fully was one of the things that made Star Trek so mm. great. Uh, and it still makes Star Trek great, and I think it's really, really and, valuable. And it's, and it's the one thing that Star Trek has stuck with this yeah. entire time. But by sticking with that, mm. they're not necessarily challenging that idea very well, mm. and so that's one of the things I kind of like it about this, up, is that it's trying to. It came up in later episodes of Voyager, but we can get into that another time. We're not going to talk uh, about Voyager on this show. <laughs> even though I've brought it up like five times on this, uh-huh. this episode alone. Um so yeah, the engineers have Nova, and they need to raise Nova. Nova, who has been brainwashed and mm-hmm. believes what the engineers believe and wants to go through this this bigger process of some sort. Well, uh, they're going to feed her into... The Sublime Plenum. The Sublime Plenum. Now, if Which you've ever sounds seen, gross. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Society... Uh, <laughs> okay, take a, take a moment here. If you haven't seen the movie Society, stop. <laughs> Go find the movie Society. <laughs> the movie Society mm. is fucked up. Well, the movie Society was about a young man who discovered that his rich family might be up to something shady. And then in the original yeah. draft of the script, it turns out they were attending incestuous orgies where they were incorporating people into this Mason-like cult yeah. by just having sex with their family members. And keeping the bloodlines pure. Yeah, exactly. There's an obvious metaphor there. Um, Stuart Gordon, Brian Usna, and uh, Screaming Mad George got a hold of this script. <laughs> and uh, they said, you know what? This needs something. You know what it needs? Instead of incest, we're going to have what we call shunting. And in shunting is one of the most spectacular special effects things you've ever seen. Because it's also it's, gross as hell. It's a bunch of people get naked, fall into a big pile together, and kind of melt into this goopy, slimy morass of fleshy body parts mm-hmm. where they all just sort of blend together in this cartoony, gross way. Yeah. There's a scene where we see a guy's head kind of coming out of somebody else's ass. Um, yeah, growing out of it. Like, like growing out yeah, of an not, a- like, yeah. out of, not even just out of a butt, like out of an anus. It's really explicit. Yeah. Uh and it's just just big groupy gross and you will it will stay in your brain forever and you will remember the movie society forever. It's kind of amazing. Uh and, and the turns out the sublime plenum is this similar big goopy plant like mass with faces inside of it but yeah. and it's constantly pulsating and dripping it's kind of it cheap. looks can, really cool it i mean looks it's cool it, it looks like they just draped stuff over other stuff yeah, and there's a lot of like balloons effect. kind of and you can you can see how they did it it's it's yeah. cheap enough that you're not fooled you can make this at but home it, with a little with a little uh, uh homemade latex with some gumption yeah you need you what it needed was more slime Needed more slime. That's the thing. If you want to get like that kind of practical effect mm. and you want to make it feel real, cover it in slime. Goop. It's KY jelly, something. Just it looks <laughs> so much Just better. Just get caro syrup. That's all you need. Yeah, it looks get it at so the grocery much better. Store. It's great. Um, but it turns out there's this a sublime plenum, and we're gonna add everyone to the sublime plenum. And they're like, "Isn't this great? We're all gonna be part of this massive amorphous organism, and all of our individuality and ideas and hopes and dreams will just fade away." And everyone <laughs> in like the 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 ship from from the from the Osiris is just like, "That's a stupid idea, and you've gone evil." Uh-huh. Turns out it's a stupid idea, and they've gone evil. Well, you can tell they've gone evil right away, because A, they're they're weird-looking aliens. 
Uh-huh. Uh, B, they wear robes. That's a, that's all, never a good sign in never science fiction. Never a good sign. And, uh, and they talk like they're lizards. Yeah. They have their, the, all of the, the engineers have these very sinister sounding voices. You know they're up to something. <laughs> No, for, it's for a people, subtle series. For, 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 for people who claim to be peace-loving, they look like supervillains. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're going to feed Nova into the Sublime Plenum. They say, BS, come with us, Nova. And and uh, they manage to escape without Nova, mm-hmm. get back to their ship, and then everything ends. Uh, no, that you missed, you're missing a big plot point. Oh, what am I, what am I missing? The Warlord. Oh, on the warlord. So it turns out that let's say so they escape without so while, Nova. While the crew is conversing with the engineers, the warlord's upstairs, uh, upstairs, uh, up in yeah. space, like doing having a dogfight with, with the fifteen-year-old girl. Yeah, uh, and but it turns out that what they need to do in order to unite against the engineers who are going to start conquering the galaxy and bringing everyone into the sublime plenum, mm. uh, they need basically royalty. This isn't like, again, the Federation was very democratic. Mm. Uh, and here, we need a royal line. <laughs> we need someone with, an, with, like, with authority, someone with an actual claim to the crown of the galaxy. Mm. And then they go to like this planet and they find this old lady who's like, oh, yes, the last, like, it, like Anastasia, like the lost member of the supposedly right, right. assassinated royal family, still alive. And his name is, and you're thinking to yourself, it's going to be Justin, right? Uh-huh. Turns out it's the it's warlord. It's the warlord, yeah. <laughs> That's actually fun. It's a fun twist, uh, although it was given away in this version of it because of the opening narration. Uh-huh. It says, like, who... The, the, the warlord narrates, it's like, oh, I, w- I was a soldier once, and I was a good guy, and then I turned into a warlord, and then I, thought, uh, then I wasn't a warlord after that. And, I thought maybe it was old Justin talking, and like eventually, like halfway oh, no, through the series, he become a warlord. And but then, no, he says at the beginning, I was a warlord, so we well, know yeah. that that's the warlord. Well, Did you think Justin war- was going to be the warlord? He specifically tells Justin at some point, you'd make a great warlord. You can mm. become a warlord. I guess so. I thought maybe season three would see <laughs> can, Justin becoming be- a warlord. You can become a warlord. Why not? I, I think he'd become a warlord for one episode. But, so you know. it turns out this guy who is going to be like the villain of the series, like that's totally how they play it, mm. is actually going to be the but hero he, who unites the galaxy. He's, and he's well, still he, kind of a shitty, self-interested jerk. Although I still think that John Corbett was meant to be the lead character of the show. Well, that's the other last thing mm. that happens is at the end, they're just like, so the general, the warlord, everyone just says, and now you, Justin, mm. you are captain of the Osiris. And I'm like... Based on what qualifications? <laughs> he hasn't how even presented guy, much gumption. How about the guy who not only has served on the show uh, on the ship before, he, he still has his uniform. <laughs> no, I know that's not much of a qualification when it comes to running a ship. Do you have your own uniform? <laughs> but at least he has that. <laughs> It's really weird. They just give it to him, like, just in this sort of perfunctory way. Yeah. It's like, hey, we forgot to sort of set up why you're going to stay on the show. You want to be captain? I'm like, no. Wait, what? You can't do that. Mm. You can't just, like, hey, why does Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch still? I don't know. We'll make him captain. <laughs> what? <laughs> now now what? he's... We're just going to start calling him Mr. Brady. Like, he just, he has no reason to be there other than he misses his sister. That's it. He doesn't really contribute anything. Well, you don't I'm, need I'm wondering, him anymore. I'm wondering, like, he's, he's captain. He's the handsome white hero. Fine. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering what role Nova would have played on this if they would have rescued her. Because we don't get to see the rescue. Well, I think we the, would, the pilot ended before that happened. Well, obviously, what's cool about this, this pilot is that it really does set up a lot of different possibilities, a lot of different mm-hmm. alien races, a lot of different ideas that I actually would have really liked to have seen explored over time. Absolutely. Um, And the idea of eventually capturing Nova 
it would be cool to have her still brainwashed. Mm -hmm. Someone who's actually like a conscientious objector to everything that they're doing. Someone who takes the opposite tack and maybe has some valid points to make about why the engineers are right. Someone who thinks like an engineer Mm. and yet eventually... Basically, she becomes seven of nine. All right. That's fine. You, I, I thought we weren't going to bring up Star Trek Voyager anymore, but there you no, go. No, I just said we're never going to. It's never going to be a covered on the show because it oh, lasted yeah, that's too true. long. That's lasted seven years. No, okay. I wasn't being a dick. You can talk about it. It's not very <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, yes. She she becomes seven of nine, but a twelve year old girl version of it. That's which, fine. Which we had on Star Trek Voyager later on. Yeah, we did. Do you remember the Borg babies? Do you I do remember, remember the Borg babies. I yeah, gave up. The, I gave up before that. Oh yeah. L- later on, this is around season six oh, or so. They they rescued like a bunch of Borg children and they were regulars on the show for. Like, oh, Oh, for like half awful. a season. It was just oh, oh, yeah, it was terrible, terrible. Like Jesus these te- Christ. bored teenagers. All right, well, where would you have liked to have seen mm. uh, the Osiris Chronicles go over a course of 100 episodes? Um, well, this was uh, clearly you know ripping off the Star Trek mold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was going to be a case of the week structure. It wasn't going to be like big Battlestar Galactica. They have a central mission or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just going to try to scour the galaxy looking for old Federation members, trying to get the Federation back on track. Now, that seems to me that would be the premise of the show, but the pilot is very anti-Federation. So it it could even be argued that this is a right-wing show. It argues in favor of small government rather than big government. But they're trying Uh, to install a monarch. Which is a little odd. So I'm not sure if the premise of the show would be trying to reinstitutionalize the Federation, which they're clearly very negative on, uh-huh. but they're using Federation technology and principles to do this. So it's being seen as something very positive as well. Or if they're going to try to eschew Star Trek even further and go towards something a little bit more, uh, I guess, fantastical, royal, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. I would like to see the show continue, but continue to just address the issue. Maybe the idea that they don't have a strong ethos could be the selling point of the show. Mm. And on different episodes, they find themselves arguing for bigger government. Here's our monarch, etc. And then in other Mm. episodes, they're arguing for more rebellious attitudes because that's how they grew up and that's kind of what defines them. The idea could be that having one single unifying philosophy sounds great in theory, but in practice, it's really complicated. Mm. That actually could have been kind of neat. We have all of these planets who, again, are ruled by warlords. Imagine if every character in Star Wars was had the same moral compass as Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> and you've got some idea about how kind of renegade this could have been. Mm. I think of something like um, uh, Farscape, which debuted the year after this, and is a great show, and I loved Farscape. <laughs> Farscape was a show that in some respects was a lot like Star Trek, in that it was a spacefaring series. They had a lot of different standalone episodes. They go to a planet, the planet has a problem, they solve the problem or not, or whatever, mm. and that's kind of it. But they did have this very uh, rebellious ethos that feels very much like what the Osiris Chronicles was kind of getting at. Uh The idea that these characters may be doing heroic things, but they're not conventionally heroes. And depending on how you look at them, they may indeed be the greatest criminals in the galaxy. Mm. So it would be kind of cool to see just how their reputation grows. Are they the heroic Star Wars rebels? Mm. Or are they the terrorists who are trying to take down the system? Yeah. And that would be kind of cool. hmm. The the problem is there's no system to take down. 
well, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a hop, it's a hodgepodge of a system. Regardless, yeah. there's going to be people who like things the way they are. Mm. Why do but I it's want kind of a like, monarch when I have a planet and I have no moral compass yeah. that I need to follow? Uh, there are no rules. Why would I want that? It's the Dark Ages, is what it is. Yeah, uh, there, there's there's nothing going on. There's no communication. There's no rulership. It's complete anarchy. So the show would have to be about instilling a monarch and about having to set something up. It's not about them fighting the system. It's about them starting a system. Yeah. So uh, as and was as was said in Dune, a beginning is a very delicate time. It's true. So no, it's really true. Yeah. That would be what they're going for. It's not about any sort of rebellion. It would be about actually the opposite of that. It would be about trying to come up with a constitution. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a fascinating that's, idea. and that's a fascinating place to go. But uh, figuring out a constitution is kind of a bad way to go about a series because it means you're going to have to come to a conclusion at some point. Mm-hmm. And figuring stuff out is not necessarily that great uh, serialized entertainment. Well, that's why you have a whole bunch of action and adventure stuff. Yeah. You have psychics, you have mutant hot warriors, you have uh, 15-year-old <laughs> now, starship this, pilots who are yeah, badass. This showed a lot more promise than something like, again, uh, another Star Trek reference, Enterprise, which was about figuring out the Federation. Because mm-hmm. there wasn't a federation yet, and you're, but we you're know how of, stodgy the federation is going to get, so it's well, not and, really and that you, you, exciting. We already know what the prime directive is, so try watching them struggle through these things, getting them to the prime directive was kind of kind of dull. Uh, yeah. So here we don't know where they're going exactly, right? And I think fi- figuring that out, even if you don't have a foregone conclusion, isn't going to make for that interesting a premise of a series. It has to be spiced up with all of the, the hot warrioresses and the episode where they land on the sex planet of the sirens, and, <laughs> which would happen. You know oh, what's going to happen. Oh, you go long enough, yeah. you run into that episode. Futurama uh, got that out of the way first season. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just get that one out of the way. Yeah, the, or the, the episode where the ship becomes conscious, or the, 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 mm-hmm. the episode where... People somebody, switch minds. Yeah, or somebody's possessed by some evil space entity. You know, all yeah. of these things are going to happen, and, and the yeah. show would be spiced up fine. It would be watchable and great with all these familiar tropes. But yeah, I'm trying to think of what the actual premise would be and how interesting that would be. And figuring stuff out might have been not interesting enough, Mm. which is why they had to sort of cap it off when they did. Maybe. Um, But uh, to answer our question. Was uh, Mm. the Osiris Chronicles, a.k.a. the Warlord Battle Mm. for the Galaxy, was it canceled too soon? Yes, it was. I agree. This had a lot of potential. It was really fun to watch. Uh, I liked the just all of the characters gathering together. I liked the setup. I liked the ship, and I wanted to see what it was going to do. Yeah, I feel There's like a lot it of did, potential here. I feel like it didn't get a chance. No, it's really sad because, and I can see why. I can mm. see why they didn't have a lot of confidence in it because, again, the first half of the pilot is really creepy. It's, it's a drag, yeah. It, it takes forever to get going. They didn't have the budget to make that stuff look cool. They didn't spend the money mm. on the planet stuff. They spent it all on the space stuff. Uh-huh. Space stuff is fine. Once you get there, it's neat. But I can just see why they'd be worried that people would turn it off after 40 minutes. Especially <laughs> when it's up against reruns of World's Most Incredible Animal Rescues. Like, why am I watching this shit? When I can see <laughs> a golden retriever jump into a river and rescue a baby. <laughs> Or better, a baby jump into a river and rescue a golden retriever. Oh, I'm hazy about whether the animals are doing the rescuing <laughs> or being rescued is my point. Do you ever see that episode of the X-Files where uh, Scully called, called Mulder and he was watching something on a TV screen and there was a lot of moaning? Uh-huh. Mulder, who was a porn addict. Yes. Uh, and she said, what are you watching? And he said, uh, the world's deadliest swarms. <laughs> I think he said when bees attack, actually. Uh, no, it was world's deadliest oh, swarms. Okay. And, and we cut to a reverse shot and he's actually watching worldly... <laughs> 
<laughs> world's deadliest swarms. Was that like a Stephen King episode or something? Uh, it was like a I weird, think I think it was that one. Weird, it was one, of, one of their comedy episodes. Um. So yeah, the Warlord. If you can track down the Warlord, um, it's worth a watch, especially if you liked this kind of show. Mm. A lot of people, I feel like, kind of bemoan the fact that there aren't any spacefaring shows really yeah. taking up the airwaves right now. Like we're, sci-fi's we're, tried that a couple of times. We're getting but, a new Star Trek this year, so we'll may, maybe that'll fill the gap. That might. The, hopefully, mm. it's going to be great. I don't know. I've, I've heard some uh, unfortunate things, but we'll <laughs> hopefully that'll be great. Because who doesn't want another great Star Trek? Mm. Um, but if you're if you're starving for more uh, and you've seen all the other stuff the warlord's a kind of a nifty novelty you can kind of see where it could have gone it's it's amusing if you're not digging the first half stick around because the second half is pretty gangbusters it, it, it picks up it yeah. picks up by the end um do we have any letters oh, we anything? have plenty of letters okay let's talk um, about this well you're uh, searching for letters or do you already have one i have one pulled oh, up here i'll right. save my spiel for the end all right uh this one comes from daniel um this is about guilt Oh, cool. Uh, for some reason, I watched every episode of this show, despite the fact that it annoyed the hell out of me. Uh, the lead character does one incredibly stupid thing after another. Yes, she does. Yep. Uh, d- destroying the lives of almost everyone she encounters without seeming to be bothered. At times, I just wanted her to go to jail for stupidity. Yep. Sa- sadly, that's not an arrestable offense. Yeah, that was... Um, I guess that wasn't a flaw in the show. Just the lead character just did stupid crap. It would have been nice to see her do stupid crap for better reasons, maybe. Yeah, or uh, have because I kept thinking she was doing mm. stupid crap because you were going to find out she was evil. Yeah, or whatever. It turns out she was just stupid. It was just dumb. Yeah. Uh, guess, I guess I was hate watching, which which I don't do. Uh, enjoy the show as always, Daniel. Um, do you ever hate watch? Do you tune into a show just because you dislike it? I mean, maybe I used to, but no, mm-hmm. life's too short. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, if I have to watch something, like everyone else wants to watch it, like in a room, mm-hmm. and I'm like, eh, hmm. maybe like, that'll get me through it, like harnessing that inner darkness. But nah, no, nah, I, don't, I don't do it. Mm-hmm. No. Um, while you're looking for something else, um, again, I would like to remind you that if you would like to contribute to the show, a lot of people have asked to contribute money through like a Patreon account or something. Mm. Um, what, what we have which, instead, which we may do someday. Yeah, we're looking into that, but it's a little complicated. Uh, what we have instead is an Amazon wish list, which is available. Uh, the link is available on Twitter. The link is also available on our Facebook uh, account, facebook.com slash cancel too soon. Twitter is at cancelcast. Uh, and that Amazon wish list is nothing but. One season wonders and failed pilots that you can just buy on Amazon. Mm. Um, some of them are expensive. Some of them are very cheap. Uh, and if there's anything you just really want us to cover and you want to send that our way, we will cover it sooner than later. Mm. Uh, we already have a few things on their way. Uh, Point Pleasant mm. uh, is on the way. Uh, we've already got. Almost Human is on the way. Police Squad is on the way. And that's actually a mistake because that had movies that came afterwards. Mm. But we put it on the list. Someone bought it for us. We have to do it. We're so go- I apologize pl- for that. Pl- plus, we get to talk about Police Squad. So yeah. we're, we're making an exception, uh, A, through William's boner, but yeah. also because we just love the show. It's uh, yeah. Our rules, we get to change them. Uh, this one comes from... Here's a letter. Okay. Uh, this comes from George White. Uh, hey, how about... Erwin Allen and Robert Block's The Return of Captain Nemo. Also also known as The Amazing Captain Nemo, another 19th century pulp hero gets frozen and revived in the 20th century with Jose Ferrer as Nemo. I totally Uh, forgot that show existed. Made by Erwin Allen. No one's quite sure about this. It was released as a miniseries, but it was actually a pilot run. Each of the three episodes is a different story, linked by the villainous Professor Waldo Cunningham, played by Burgess Meredith, and his League of Alien Robots, headed by a Darth Vader knockoff. 
this being 1978. Right. It's basically the nearest thing 70s US TV got to Doctor Who, being very much like the John Pertwee era. John Pertwee was one of the doctors. Yes, uh, he was. It was number, I forgot which number. I want to say four? four. He was the one who was earthbound. Oh, okay. like, wore like an opera cape. Yeah. With a cape-wearing, large-nosed, quite flamboyant gentleman hero who works for missions given to him by the UN with a fantastically advanced but also ancient ship. Despite being Victorian, no attempt is made to make the Nautilus look steampunky. It's all disco lights and has a nuclear reactor. Yes. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Uh, Meredith is his master. Ma- uh, another Doctor Who reference. Mm. Uh, albeit an old bloke in a cardigan whose ship is a slightly redressed Space 1999 Eagle Transporter toy. <laughs> 70s Doctor Who, being made in Britain like Space 1999, used actual redressed Space 1999 models, but Captain Nemo, being Hollywood-based, settles for a prop bot uh, prop bot model kit eagle. Uh, Mel Ferrer, no relation, plays the UN superior contact guy. Linda Day George, yes, her her, her who screams bastard in Pieces, uh, the star of Pieces, the movie yes. Pieces, which is a great movie, watch Pieces, uh, plays the scrawny female companion and everyone's favorite kraut cowboy, Horst Bulkholtz. Plays the, king, plays the King of Atlantis. What? That's awesome. I saw this when I was six on Irish television and I loved it. Despite the cut I saw being a 90 minute compilation, the amazing Captain Nemo of the three episodes. It's the compilation on the Warner archive. So you probably wouldn't be able to find the original three hour cut. Yours, well, George White. Still worth looking into. That sounds mm. really, really neat. And we have, I think we have time for one more. Anything uh, else? Let me see if I can find one more. Let's about, see if you can find one more. Uh, we've got a lot on here for... Oh, wait... We've been arguing, or rather we brought up, whether or not uh, Galactica 1980 counts as its own series, or if it's a, like, a continuation of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, the question is, can we do Battlestar yeah. Galactica or not? Uh, John Shea, uh, a comp- longtime fan. Uh, and, 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 and he used compa- to be my editor. Companion of ours. Yeah. Uh, has written in clarifying rather extensively. Very uh, extensively. Dear, Holy crap. Dear Will and Mr. Seibel, I'm writing in as a longtime fan of your podcasts and as a former associate of Mr. Bibiani. That's right. Specifically his editor at a long defunct website where he labored as a young and extraordinarily talented critic. Aw, thanks man. I call him Will to start because I originally knew him under a pseudonym and later by his real name. As we've never actually met in person, it came as a surprise to me that everyone calls him Bibs since I had never done so. I just call him <laughs> Will. So there you go. <laughs> That was I, before I had picked up that nickname. And I, and I call you William anyway. Yeah, I, I respect you more than nicknames. Thanks, friend. Uh, now on to Battlestar Galactica. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> as such, I can remember watching the original Battlestar Galactica premiere on TV at my grandparents' house where I was staying while my parents were enjoying a second honeymoon. It was the first time a TV show had attempted to hit some of the same vibe as Star Wars, which I had recently recently rocked my world in theaters. I was hooked on the show and watched faithfully. Its cancellation was a real blow, so eventually learning that BSG 1980 was coming to TV was met with joyous huzzas, or whatever noise I made in those days. It stunk! It was an attempt to move the story forward to Earth and mostly felt, even as a child, as just a way to make the show cheaper. The Galactica hung out in orbit around Earth, and pilots were sent down to investigate on goofy flying motorcycles, while never admitting their true origin to anyone on Earth. Lauren Green would stand on the set of the bridge and talk to his pilots on the ground about these strange and primitive humans. It was greatly below the quality of the original series and compared to the eventual reboot, complete trash. So does this show count as a standalone single-season show? Based on your rules... No. It is unquestionably a continuation of the original series. There are two characters played by the same actors in each series. Other actors didn't return and their absence was explained in the show. While the setting and direction of BSG 1980 is mostly different, it can be viewed as something new and disconnected because it simply moves the original series forward in time to start again. 
So while I would love to listen to you suffer through a review of the series, it does not fit your rules and that joy must be denied. Sorry. So we've had we've had one vote con and one vote pro at this point. We've had a lot of votes. Actually, we've had a lot more votes like just in person, like people we know saying, hey, uh-huh. listen, it counts as a spinoff. It's not a continuation. Uh, we're going to continue having this debate somewhat internally, I think. Uh, I think we're leaning on the idea that maybe we'll do it. But it's not yeah. a sure thing. In any case, God knows we have plenty of material to cover. Yeah, uh, um, he he goes on. Oh uh, my God! To, okay. to, well, this, and he, he changes the subject though. Okay, uh, so no, it's fine. Now, I, now I love to John. It's fine. now to a bit of a quibble from the beginning of the baffled episode. Uh, you mm. complained that the female lead refusing to identify as a feminist because, despite acting like one in all conceivable ways, somebody asked her in mm. baffled, "Are you a feminist?" Oh no, I'm not a feminist. I'm not one of those women. Uh-huh. Uh, this is me quoting baffled. Mm. Uh, Paraphrasing, but yeah. Uh, this is a thing. Uh, this is a thing, and not quite what Whitney attempts to rationalize. I should know, I'm married to such a woman. It has nothing to do with the rantings of Rush Limbaugh, who said she should, she can't stand, or the baggage he attached to the word. It's simply an attitude of refusing to be identified by labels of any sort, because she feels this is a reduction of her as an individual. You can watch her in action and easily come to the conclusion that she's a feminist, but saying it out loud will earn you an eye roll and the belief that perhaps you could be making better choices with your life. <laughs> well, fair enough. Uh, So this is a plausible attitude for a character. All of that said, I have no doubt that the character in the show refused to identify as a feminist because at the time, it was a thing large swaths of the American public viewed with great suspicion, which was kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, that Uh, was our idea, but yeah. yeah. Writing an actively feminist character could by itself have been viewed as a real impediment to the show's success. So softening this by having her disavow the label was probably a cynical move meant to help to help ratings. Exactly yeah, our yeah, point, yeah. yeah. Uh, one last point to address from Whitney at the end of the episode. I'm a 45-year-old white man and I'm very comfortably saying that Rush blows. <laughs> uh... uh <laughs> so, uh, I did make the point <coughs> that white males over a certain age all love Rush. Like, mm-hmm. e- e- even if you don't love Rush, you reach a certain age as a white male and you just start loving Rush. You, be, you, you hit 55, uh, you start watching documentaries on World War II. You yeah. hit 45, you start listening to Rush. You, 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 yeah. buy, you buy Rush albums like, hey, yeah. this Neil Peart's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So he's 45, he's a white male, and Rush blows. So they're out there. You don't have to love Rush. There's exceptions There's no requirement. to every rule. <laughs> like, like... But when you find yourself... Murder is okay in self-defense. <laughs> when you find yourself approaching your mid-40s and you start digging on Rush a little bit, don't feel ashamed. It happens to everybody. It's normal. It's normal. <laughs> it's just one of those changes the body goes through at a certain age. Uh, to close, Bibbs... As always, I am deeply proud of you and your work. Uh, you found a great foil in Whitney, who's a fabulous critic in his own right. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, he is. Uh, I love both podcasts, and I've been listening since episode one of each. Keep up the great work. Oh, that's amazing. John Shea. Thanks, well, thanks for listening. Um, if you want to have your letter read on the B-Movies podcast, feel mm. free to email, I'm sorry, on Cancel Too Soon, uh, or the B-Movies podcast. Or actually. either. We use the same email for both. It's mm. Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just put Cancel Too Soon in the header if, you want, if it's a Cancel Too Soon letter. And uh, if it's just suggestions, we will take the suggestions. But if you have any comments you want to make, mm. any refutations, if you watch the show that we're talking about, particularly in its original run, and you have some comments you'd like to add, by all means do. And if you've seen perhaps a show that we've announced that we're doing in the future, uh, we will keep an eye out and maybe we can read your comments on that particular mm. episode. Uh, and next week, mm-hmm. we have a doozy. Oh, do we ever. This is the most exciting episode. <laughs> What are we going to do the week 
that Donald Trump gets inaugurated as president of the United States, well, audience, we're going to do a television series in which Donald Trump buys a haunted Caribbean castle, teams up with a sass-talking black ghost pirate, gets in a superboat, and solves mysteries. Uh, to, to clarify, Donald Trump does not appear on the show. Uh, yeah. he, he does not star in the show, which is a pity. Uh, this is something that he might have done. He, yes. he, he made cameos in dumb movies and All did Pizza time. Hut commercials. That, that Ghosts guy. can't do uh, it. That's a real thing. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll say this out loud. The man's a whore. And, uh, <laughs> certainly for attention. Uh, 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 certain, certain, certainly for attention. Yeah, and, but uh, you gotta remember, he was famous, and in fact, mm, even infamous, mm. For decades before all of this happened. So in the early 90s, the idea of Donald Trump as this incredibly rich guy who looks ex- who looks like that, the character in this show looks uh. like that, who behaves like that, who complains about the liberal media, who doesn't pay his independent contractors, uh, he's the, they, they use Donald Trump as the template mm. for the protagonist on this show, The 100 Lives of Black Jack Savage. <laughs> it's... Astounding! This may be one of the most ignore that, ignore that element, ignore the Donald Trump. Ignore you just just let's, we came from a more innocent time. One of the most wrong-headed shows <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Like now, holy crap! Everything about it is insane. Everything mm. about the show is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you you can't wait for that. You don't know you can't wait for that. You if, don't you don't know you need this in your life. We've we're, had one we're, person we're, tweet us saying they remember this series. <laughs> one. Now this is on YouTube, right? Uh, this one you can find this on YouTube yeah. if, you, if that's the route you want to go. It's hard to find. It's never been properly released because Disney is probably a little ashamed of it. <laughs> and when we talk about it's, the series, it's in the vault. You'll ne- find out why. It's in the vault next to the Song of the South. You know, yeah. and all those other things they won't release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the, the, it's absolutely not going to get a release anytime soon. I'd be shocked. Dis- Disney in the '90s was a weird time. Uh, we're gonna have to do the Schnookums and Meat Funny cartoon show at some Ooh, point. But, yeah, uh, we the, are. The, yeah, the, the, the Disney Ren and Stimpy ripoff that, that was, was really fun. That was really odd. Yeah. Um, so that's coming. Mm. Do not miss that episode. Do not. It's incredible. Uh, but we'll be back. We'll be back with that. And we'll be back uh, uh, later on with more great shows. we got a lot of cool stuff coming. Some of it has been provided by you. If you want to provide us a show, you can go to our Amazon Wishlist. The link is on uh, Twitter and our Facebook page. Our Twitter is at CancelCast. Our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash CancelTooSoon. Um, I'm at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. Uh, you can email us, bmoviespodcast at gmail.com, uh, and we will be back with more great one-season wonders all throughout 2017. We cannot wait. We have a lot of cool stuff lined yeah, up. We even got some guests coming. We so, do. Yeah. I'm really excited. We, we wanted to have more guests our first year, uh, and just scheduling was hard. Mm. You know, a lot of people have trouble fitting in like a whole season of a show yeah, into right. their schedule. But uh, we want to thank Alonzo Duralde and Rebecca McKendry for coming on, and we're going to invite mm. more cool people on mm. this year. Uh, But for now, that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season.